Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Tonight, I want to just talk again. I think I was talking a couple weeks ago about the subject of peace and Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And I want to continue talking about that particular particular subject. I was talking this afternoon with my daughter-in-law. She and our, our son have started a church out in Allendale, and she preached this morning. And we were talking about sermons. And she mentioned, she says, yeah, but I had to cut it short. And I said, I always cut it short because I never get done. If they're like a train, you just unhook and then you just hook up again later. So I'm just going to kind of hook up and lay a little bit of a foundation first. And Isaiah, now Isaiah is prophesying about 700 years before Jesus is born. And he said, unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. I mentioned the last time that the child refers, was born, refers to Jesus in his human nature. But the son had to be given because he was already in heaven. He was eternally with the father and the government will be upon his shoulders. Most people do not realize this. When they think about Christianity, they think that Christianity is a religion. It's not a religion. Now, this is this will probably bother some of you, but Christianity is a kingdom. When Jesus came, he said the kingdom of God is at hand. When he arose from the dead, the disciples said, well, at this time you restore the kingdom. It's a kingdom with a government. And the government will be upon his shoulders. When he returns, he will be the head of the government. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. It is really only through Jesus that we find internal, eternal, true peace. He said, peace I leave to you, my peace I give to you, not as the world do I give to you. And then, of course, he said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So Jesus is saying that the peace that he gives, first of all, it's an inside thing. It's not an outside thing. It is not dependent on circumstances. The peace that he gives. And notice he says, don't let your heart be troubled. We're living in a society today that tells us whatever your emotions are, that's where you go. But Jesus said, do not let your emotions rule your life. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. So what Jesus is telling us is that right thinking will change our emotions. Where most people believe that emotions are going to change your thinking. But Jesus is telling us the exact opposite. And then Romans 14 and 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy in the Holy Spirit. So literally, one third of the kingdom, according to this verse, is peace. And when we're in the kingdom of God, we should have peace. We are living at the time of the year, the holiday season, when there are more people in deep depression than any other time of the year. But that shouldn't be true with those of us that are followers of Jesus. Because his kingdom, it's righteousness, it is peace, and it is joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, just to kind of lay a little bit of a foundation, I want to deviate a little bit to Hebrews 1 and, and verse 9. Now, notice part of the kingdom is joy. Now, it mentions here in Hebrews 1 and 9, 
one of the conditions that brings joy. It says, you loved righteousness and hated lawless behavior. That is why God, your God, has anointed you more than your companions with the oil of joy. So Jesus had more joy than anybody else. When you see a picture of Jesus, he, he ought to have a big smile on his face because he was anointed with joy. But the reason for the joy was because he hated lawlessness and loved righteousness. When we love righteousness, hate lawlessness, the result is joy. Psalms 116 verse 11, you will show me the path of life and in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. And really those are the two ingredients that, that bring true inner joy. One is God's presence and the other one is to hate lawlessness and love righteousness. The Bible equates those that they bring joy. Now, I mention that because I want to talk about peace. And the Bible also has two main ingredients that bring peace into our lives. So joy is a result of hating lawlessness, loving righteousness, and God's presence. It brings us joy. But peace, peace is really a result of righteousness, first of all. It's a result or a byproduct of righteousness. You'll notice what's mentioned. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy. In fact, every time you find righteousness and peace mentioned, righteousness is always mentioned first. When it talks about Melchizedek, it says first, he's the king of righteousness, and then the king of peace. Righteousness precedes peace. The Bible tells us in Isaiah, chapter 32 in verse 17, the work of righteousness will be peace. The work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. So with that said, I want to talk to you a little bit about righteousness because righteousness is one of the key ingredients that brings peace into our life. You see, many people are Christians and they're constantly trying to do something to please God. If I could just do this, if I could just do more of that, if I could just not do this, if I could just not do that, then I'd be righteous. And then I'd have peace with God. But Hebrews 9 verse 14 says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So this scripture says that when we understand what Jesus did for us at the cross, let me just say 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, says that he that knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin or a sin offering for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. In Romans 1.16, King James says that the righteousness of God is revealed. Darby's translation says it this way, it's God's way of making men as righteous as himself. You say, how could that be? How can we be as righteous as God? Because at the cross, the Bible says that God took Jesus' righteousness and put it inside of you and took your unrighteousness and put it inside of him. It's the great exchange. Now, literally, when we understand that our right standing with God is not based on our behavior, 
but it's based on what Jesus has done and what he purchased for us. The result of that, the Bible says, will be peace. You won't be struggling. Your spiritual life will not keep on going like this, up and down and up and down and up and down, because it's not based on your behavior. It's not based on you being perfect. It's based on the fact that Jesus has done something for you. So the blood of Christ will cleanse your conscience from dead works. The way that we can tell that we understand what Jesus has done for us. In fact, I've kind of put four thoughts or four questions together. The first one that I would ask is this. Do you believe that you deserve God's very best blessings? The best blessings God has. Should you get those or should the God like pass over you because of something you've done, said, thought? What's your answer to that? Because if you base you're standing with God on your behavior, there's always going to be a question. I cannot tell you how many people have come up to me through the years and introduced themselves and said something like this. My name is Bob. I'm a drug addict. My name is Sally. I've been divorced three times. My name is. And then you see, they identify themselves based on sin, based on failure, based on past behavior. That's how they identify themselves. But the verse says that it'll cleanse your conscience. And you will not think of yourself anymore based on sins, failures, things that have happened in your past. Because the blood of Jesus will cleanse your conscience from that. And you will begin to identify yourself not based on what you've done, but based on what he's done. That's number one. Do I deserve God's blessed blessings? Number two, is my identity based on past sins, and failures, or is it based on what Jesus has done for me? Number three, it's right here in the verse. It says, it will cleanse your conscience from dead works that you may serve the living God. So the third question is, do you feel qualified to serve God in whatever capacity is necessary? I, I, I could kind of break that down by saying, if I were to come to you and say to you, uh, there is a person who's just been diagnosed with terminal cancer. The doctor has sent them home and give them 10 days to live. Would you go pray for them? What would you, what would you feel? Would you go, yes. Or would you go, I think you should find somebody else. See, because if you're truly understand what the blood has done, that the blood has cleansed your conscience. It's not just forgiven you, it's even taken and cleansed your conscience. So you do not consciously think of yourself based on your past sins and failures. You, you, you see yourself based on what Jesus has done for you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ and you are qualified, the Bible says right here in the verse, to serve the living God. So do we, do we feel like we're ready? Or do we feel like, no, they should choose somebody else. I am not ready. And the fourth thing is this. Jesus tells a whole parable in Matthew chapter 18 about forgiveness. He says there's a certain man, he owes the king a billion dollars. He can't pay, so the king's for, king, he forgives him the whole debt. He goes out and finds somebody who owes him about a hundred bucks. He grabs him by the throat and says, pay me. And he says, just give me some time but he won't. 
and he has him thrown in the debtor's prison. Now, when the king hears about it, he calls the first servant back and he says, I forgave you that great debt. Shouldn't you have also forgiven that smaller debt that someone owed you? And then Jesus says this. So will my heavenly father. And by the way, the king sends him off to the tormentors. And he says, so will my heavenly father do to each one of you if you do not from your heart forgive those that have done you wrong. So Jesus is saying, because you've been forgiven and when you understand that you're forgiven, what you will do is you will forgive others. You'll forgive those that have done you wrong because we have done things wrong in our life and God has forgiven us. It should be one. It should be absolutely like automatic. I've been forgiven, so I'm going to forgive. In fact, when we receive forgiveness, it enables us to forgive. In Hebrews 5 and verse 13, it says, everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now, what he's saying is this. He says there's different levels of teaching in the kingdom of God. He said, but the level you want to get to is the level where you understand righteousness. What Jesus has done for you and who he's made you to be in Christ. We want to get to that level where we understand my relationship with God is not based on my behavior. My relationship with God is based on what Jesus has done for me. Now, again, we're talking about peace. And when we understand righteousness, one of the effect of righteousness, the Bible says, will be peace. I'm not striving anymore. I'm not going, oh, my goodness, I hope I didn't do that wrong. I better do this right. Oh, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. It's all gone. The effect of righteousness will be peace. And what Jesus did on the cross was he paid to make you the righteousness of God in Christ. Another part of peace is simply avoiding certain things. Uh, we say this, avoid strife. In Genesis chapter 13, uh, one of these days, I'm going to do a whole series on following the faith of Abraham. In fact, the Bible tells us to follow Abraham's faith. And here's a great example of what his faith did. It says in Genesis 13 and 7, it says, there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abraham said to Lot, please let there be no strife between me, between you and me, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we're brethren. Isn't the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. You know, when, when there's strife, the more spiritual person is always the one who says, let's deal with this. Let's get rid of the strife. We can say the greater person, but it's really the more spiritual person who says, let's not have strife. Now, if where they're at, right in front of them, the Bible tells us there's this beautiful valley that's like the Garden of Eden. And behind them is a desert. The Negev, you can still go there today. It is just like, it is like amazingly dry. Everything there will poke you. It is just not, there's just nothing. There is nothing there. But Abraham says, you just choose where you want to go. Now, he is willing to suffer loss 
so that he can stay out of strife. Well, the Bible tells us that Lot chose for himself that valley. And he ends up going down in the valley. <coughs> excuse me. And we all know the story. He ends up at the back end of that valley of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. <coughs> and over a period of time, he just keeps on getting closer and closer. And finally, he's in those, those cities. But uh, verse 14 says this. Then the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, In the natural, it looked like Lot, Lot had made the best choice and Abraham was going to lose a small fortune. But this is what God said to him. He said, now lift up your eyes from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward and westward. He says, everything that you see, he said, I'm going to give it to you and to your descendants. You know, the blessing came to Abraham when he moved away from strife. In Psalms 133, really a short psalm. It says how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. And then it ends and it says, for there the Lord commands the blessing. There the Lord commands blessing. And we sometimes just look at things in the natural, the way that Lot did. What's going to be the best for me? And we want to fight for what will be the best for us. But the truth is, if we'll move away from strife, see, the blessing is going to come. It came on Abraham when he moved away. In the Psalms, it says, you know, when there's unity, that's where God commands the blessing. Now, Romans 16 and verse 17 says, now I urge you, brethren, that you note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. Avoid them. Again, it's saying the same thing. Stay out of strife. Get away from division. Get away from that, that, that thing that's going to Take away the peace of God in 1 Corinthians 1 and 10. Now, I plead with you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, that you may be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Saying the same thing. It says, don't have division. Don't let there be strife. Avoid it. So it says this in Ephesians. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. To keep unity, to keep peace, he says, it's gonna be work. He says, you gotta endeavor. You will not accidentally avoid strife. You gotta do it on purpose. You will not accidentally keep unity. Now, it keeps on going, this is, this is, this is absolutely beautiful. It says, there's one body, one spirit, just as we were all called in one hope, one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father in all who is above all and through all and in all. But to each one of you, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So he's saying that you got to make sure you keep the unity of the spirit. You got to work at it. And what he's saying, he says, now look at all the things that, that we have that keep us in unity. He's saying, keep the main thing, the main thing. He says, we all have the same Lord. We're all part of the same body. We all have the same Holy Spirit. We're all part of the same kingdom. We have the same blessed hope. We have the same faith. We have the same father. We have the same baptism. And then he says, there's different graces, but it's still, we have all these things together, but it's the same spirit that brings them all. So let me give you an example. I remember Jimmy Evans. Know about Jimmy Evans? You know, God has a grace on him when it comes to marriage. 
Robert Morris, the message of his life is giving in money. Oral Roberts, the grace that's on him was healing. Bill Johnson, gifts of the spirit. Joel Osteen, encouragement. Every one of them is a grace that God has given. Every one of them have the same Lord. They're part of the same body, same spirit, same kingdom, same hope, same faith, same father, same baptism. And what he's saying, he's saying, we have so many things that are the same, but yet we're going to have different emphasis or different gifts that we're imparting. Everybody has something different. And, and in fact, he later talks about how people are trying to compare Paul and Apollos and Peter. And he said, look, don't do that. He said, we're all just ministers. We just all have a different grace, but we're all part of the same body, part of the same kingdom. What he's saying is this. So often we don't keep the main thing, the main thing. We look at little differences and we begin to fight over all these little differences. It's amazing to me how many people want to talk down somebody else in the body of Christ. Let me just say this. Don't ever criticize what God's blessing. You may not like it. You may not understand it, but that's all right. It's a different grace. It's a different emphasis, but we're in the same kingdom. Same Lord, same faith, same baptism, same spirit, same blessed hope. And it's just God's going to use different people in different ways. And we need to be really careful to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And God wants our lives literally to be filled with peace. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he said, now, when you go into a house, he said, say peace to this house. Peace is a spiritual force. Peace to this house. And he says, in your peace, it'll come and it'll rest in that place. You know, our God is a God of peace and he is a God of victory. Romans 16, verse 20, it says, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. When we, when we keep the peace in the unity of the spirit, that is when we see the power of God manifested. When we keep the peace and the unity of the spirit. Again, it's not always easy, but it's what we need to do. The other thing that can destroy our peace is wrong thinking. Very simply, wrong thinking. In Mark chapter four, Jesus is rebuked the winds and the waves. And he said to them, why are you so fearful? And how is it you have no faith? Why are you so fearful? And how is it you have no faith? Now, faith and fear, they're opposites. You notice what he said, you're so fearful and no faith. Where there's fear, there's no faith. Where there's faith, there is no fear. So Philippians chapter four, verse six. Do not worry about anything. It, probably the most popular sin in the church today is worry. People it say, oh, I've been worrying about you. You know, like they're doing you a favor. <laughs> they're, like they're helping you, you know, they're, I'm worrying about you. you know, no, no, worry, listen, is fear in its infancy. Worry is fear in its infancy. If it develops and it grows, that worry will turn into fear. 
So the Bible says, do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace. You'll experience God's peace. The enemy of peace is fear and worry, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. We want to be in that place where we're in faith, where we're not in fear, where we're not in doubt, we're not in worry. So what do we need to do? We need to pray about everything. But he keeps on going. And he talks about how do you do this? And he says to think about certain things or to meditate on certain things, whatsoever things are, are, are pure, of a good report, whatsoever things are virtuous. He begins to give us this list of different things that we are supposed to think about. I mean, here it is. Finally, brother, whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Which you have both heard and seen in me and do, and the God of peace will be with you. So if we are thinking about the wrong things, we begin to worry and we lose our peace. So the other ingredient to peace is what you think or what you meditate on. You know, we talked about worry. Now, the Bible talks about meditating. J Joshua 1, 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night. Now, people say, what does that mean to meditate? Is there anyone here who is ever worried? You are meditating on the wrong things. Worrying is meditating. It's meditating. Now, literally, we could say that what meditating is, it's visualizing, it's seeing that thing on the inside of you, and it's personalizing. So you, you take that verse, you take that promise, and you visualize it happening, and you personalize it. It's in my life. It's not about somebody else. It's about me. But when we think about something, we're beginning to meditate on it. Now, what Paul said is he says, you need to think about the right things. Because what meditation does is it produces either faith or fear. It produces faith or it produces fear. If we meditate on the wrong thing, it produces fear. If we meditate on the right thing, it will produce fear faith on the inside of us. You know, a lot of people are spending a lot of time talking about confession, and it's, it's a good thing to talk about. But what brings you to the place where you make a confession of faith is where you first spend time meditating. In fact, you may even be confessing something, but you're not confessing. It's not a confession of faith. It's a confession unto faith. In other words, you're confessing it about yourself. And as you're confessing it, you're seeing it on the inside. You're personalizing it. And as you do that again and again, faith is the result. And then at some point you will make a confession of faith. But there is a time where you are making a confession unto faith. It's not there yet, 
but you see the promise, you're meditating on it, you're personalizing it, you're visualizing it, you're speaking it, because meditation, one of its definitions, means to mutter or to speak. And as you begin to speak it, you begin, it begins to absorb it, and that faith begins to grow on the inside of you. In uh, Romans chapter 4, it's talking about Abraham, and it's, uh, uh, which translation, the ESV, that talks about how he grew strong in faith as he. You grow strong in faith as he. What was he doing? He was thanking God. He was giving glory to God. He was meditating. He was personalizing. He was visualizing. And as he did it, he grew strong in faith. And then at a point, he got to where he was strong in faith. But he didn't start there. How many of you have got a promise of God that you're not strong in faith yet on that promise? There's a lot of them in the book, by the way. But what we need to do is the same thing that Abraham did. We need to begin to meditate on it. We begin to need to begin to thank God. We need to begin to visualize it. We need to begin to personalize it. And as we do that, it grows on the inside. It grows on the inside and it continues to grow. I think I, I mentioned this on a Sunday night uh, a while back. Dodie Osteen, I think it's been almost 40 years ago now, at least 30, was diagnosed with liver cancer in the last stages. She's given 10 days to live. The doctors told her, her and her husband, John, they said, uh, you know, there's just nothing we can do. And uh, they said, if you don't have a miracle, she'll be dead just a couple weeks. And John said, well, we believe in miracles. And the doctor said, well, you need one. You need one. And she went home. And she said she read the scripture that said he himself bore our sicknesses, carried our diseases, and by his stripes you were healed. And she said she read that verse and it sounded to her on the inside like, you're healed, you're healed. And the doctor's report was, you're going to die. You have liver cancer. You cannot survive. She just kept on staying with that word, quoting that word visualizing that word, personalizing that word. She said in months later, it was like, by his stripes, you're healed. And the doctor's little report was, yo, yo, you're going to die. You're going to die. What happened? It grew on the inside of her. And God's word has to grow on the inside of us. And it grows on the inside of us as we're thinking, as we're meditating, as we're personalizing, as we're visualizing what God says about us in his word. And when we get that down on the inside, it's not a confession unto faith. It will be a confession of faith, a confession to faith. Let me just close with this thought. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And the way that he did it, is he did it, everything that you see that's created was created because God spoke it into existence. It was created through words. And it will respond to words. It, it was created through words and it will respond to faith words. When your faith is in the word that God has given you about your situation, your situation will respond to those words. Everything that we see that exists was created when God said, when God said said. That was the beginning. 
And those same things will create that were created through words will respond to faith words. But we've got to take those words that God has spoken, get them down on the inside of us. And again, it may begin as a confession unto faith. But where we want to go is to where it is a confession of faith. And that happens when we meditate on it, when we talk it, when we visualize it, when we personalize it. And it grows on the inside, just like it did on Abraham. And where he got to the point where he grew strong in faith and he got to that place where he was strong in his faith. Well, would you bow your heads for just a moment? Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.